Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing this lovely hot day in Houston, Texas? I mean, it's good to be lovely. <laughs> I've, I just continue to try and brainstorm ways to wear my kids out that doesn't involve chronic exposure to heat. <laughs> yeah. Have you found anything? So I did take my son to a baseball game nice. a couple of weeks ago. My wife was out of town. And I think my in-laws were helping, and I think it was just a lot. Yeah. And I was like, shoot, you know, we don't go to that many baseball. Like, I don't take him to many baseball games. Yeah. So like, I'm going to drop a little bit of money to try and get somewhere he can be a little more engaged. Yeah. And it was still crazy hot in the ballpark. They didn't have it and closed so up with the it AC? It was closed. AC, like, I think the AC. I guess there comes a point where you can only cool down the place so much when it's 100 and, degrees out. And I don't know how late they, like, have the roof open and then they close it after batting, you know, before batting practice and everything. Because it got cooler, but, like... I have a four-year-old, like, you know, we're not making it that long anyways. <laughs> so we made it a few innings, but we were at the very end. I wanted to be able to see the train and the Astros were playing terrible. Uh-huh. And we were like cornered over on the side. So we had to go across like 10 people to get to the aisle. Yeah. And it was one of those like, I'm not doing this to these other people. So we kind of stood in the concourse or whatever, got a giant ice cream, which yeah. he really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But it was a toasty affair. So I tried that. <laughs> How much ice cream melted all over him? Not as much as you'd expect. I mean, I did the dad thing where I was like, hey, let me get that for you. Yeah. You know? (laughs) But Um, next thing you know, you've eaten half the ice cream. Yeah. Just to lick it so it doesn't drip all over him. It was one of those, like, I'm sure it was like $15, but it was like the huge waffle cones, like two scoops. And like, people were laughing as he was carrying it away with this big smile on his face. Oh, yeah. But he ate most of it, but he didn't eat all of it. He said he was done. Tapping out. So well, good for him. He is a regulator. That's good. My kids don't. They'll eat it until they get sick, and then they still want to eat more. Mm, yeah. So he's got rock climbing this week. Ooh, which what? I think I told you about rock climbing last year. So we would do indoor rock gym right by our house. Okay. And he did one where it was like once a week or throughout the summer, and that was all booked up. That's great. But last summer, he was like running, playing, and smacked his head and got two black eyes. Oh, yeah. I think we yeah. made him all really nervous. I remember that. Uh, yeah. Yes. Very, okay. very disturbing pictures. Yeah, if you go back um, about 52-ish episodes ago, you'll yeah. hear Matt talk about the incident. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> anyways class was full so now it's like a three-hour thing but it's air-conditioned inside and he's super excited oh good for him so be fun hopefully yeah. he comes back this afternoon a little tired yeah but not overheated mm-hmm. i yeah. get it no it's having kids if anyone out there has kids you know again that age four to i mean toddler to however my daughter's seven going eight and it's hard to wear them out the only thing i've found is just going to the pool for like a good amount of time but again to your point it's like you're outside it's hot and after a while, like the novelty of going to the pool kind of wears off throughout the summer. And so then they're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to go to the pool anymore. And it's like, great. So what do you do? Sit inside and try and keep you off of screens for all day, which is tough. We yeah. managed to put actually we've done we've done time limits. So we do a certain time limit each day and it's not very long, but it's long enough to where they really start getting into whatever it is they're into. And then uh-huh. it, and then all of a sudden, it's like, time limited. And like my son just goes berserk. Like throw the tablet across the room. And- <laughs> yeah. You can tell. As soon, like, we'll be anywhere in the house, and it hits time limited. And all of a sudden, he's like, ah. <laughs> he gets so mad. 
my daughter, she tries to find a way to hack it. She can't. She hasn't figured it out yet. But yeah, we just had it got to a point where it's like we had to put time limits on these screens because we could tell them. But next thing you know, you're busy and it's like, oh, you look down. It's like, geez, you've been on this tablet or this phone or whatever screen thing it is. So anyway, yeah, it's summertime for parents. It can be challenging. I see yes, I have definitely broken down. We don't do we have like no screens pretty I, much at all. Like we, so we have a TV that. on the fourth floor. I live in townhome. Yeah. And so, and granted, he might be able to like, when brushing teeth, he might be able to go to watch like a couple of minutes, but yeah, we're even sort of tapering off that. But that's good, fourth man. floor, you got to go all the way up to the fourth floor to watch TV. And so it's a pretty special thing. Yeah. We try and make it a big deal. Of course. But like there are days where I'm just exhausted and I'm like, you're going to watch the movie Cars and the TV will raise you for the next two hours because <laughs> like I can't. Yeah. So if you don't have kids, I was that person to be like, why would you ever let your kids rot in front of a television, blah, blah, blah. And it was like. Now I, I totally get it. Like yeah. I was wrong, parents. <laughs> no, so. it's a whole another topic for another day. It's in my wife's at home and she's, you know, got her business. And she's, I went home for lunch today. I was downtown. They went home, had a bite so I could see the kids and everyone. And then, yeah, they were playing and my wife was trying to have a meeting because, you know, her business doesn't really stop. And like, bless all the moms or dads or whoever stays at home with the kids during the summertime most of the day because it is wild it's a lot it's wild yeah you gotta have a lot of energy anyway moving on to drilling fluids matt i think we've talked a lot about chlorides and invert emulsions we've even i think done some episodes on lab testing and, and what kind of tests that we do but you know when it comes to titrations everyone has an interesting endpoint and the end result is very similar but especially when you're training whoever you're training with will say okay wait till it turns x color and you're looking in your mind, you're like, there it is. And then either they keep going or all of a sudden they hit, oh, there it is. And you're like, well, I didn't see any color change. And so I think it'd be cool to talk about chloride titration endpoint and yeah, try and narrow down what exactly we're looking for and maybe some tips and tricks and just some good, some thoughts around getting to that endpoint and why it's critical to be consistent at the very least. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it is funny because it goes back to who trained. I mean, I remember one of the guys I was out in the field with first it was like way past what the endpoint actually is. He was like, well, you want to make sure you got it. Yeah. And it's like, well, you're also over-reporting your chlorides by like 30,000, but okay, you know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so true. Oh, yeah. No, it's again, we chuckle. And if anyone's never done a drilling fluid chloride titration, you're like, why is that so funny? But yeah, a little inside joke there for the mud folks. But again, I think let's really just to kind of break down the fundamentals of what chlorides actually are, and then we can get into the testing piece. So I should add a couple of things. Mm -hmm. We did have a recent episode talking about two salt titrations, right? You're going to measure the chlorides, but it doesn't know whether that's sodium or calcium chloride. Right. Important to refer back to that episode if that's a question that you have. Good point. So let's pretend that we have all the same thing. Other fun fact, this titration works with bromides. So if you had a sodium bromide fluid, either internal phase or continuous phase, or calcium bromide for that matter, you could also use this titration. Granted, you have to do different conversion, but the titration works. But, you know, chlorides matter in a number of different ways. I was just actually remembering when we were on direct emulsion, right, we're trying to drill through a salt section and stay saturated. And measuring your chlorides there because you've got part of this oil phase or whatever, you know, sometimes breaking out the aqueous phase is a little tricky, mm-hmm. but you should expect to have, you know, 185,000 milligrams per liter on your chlorides. And if you're 
way less than that, you're going to wash out the formation and that might require extra cement. It might create some other issues. Like, yep. And of course, yes, I know that if you're undersaturated and you're drilling through salt, you will probably find salt pretty quick. And you're, But like, understand those fluctuations could matter and you could pick those up. And then even when you try and do solids analysis with a retort, like you're counting for those, you know, those corrective retort solids, you're going back on your titration to figure out how much density is contributed by brine. Mm. So knowing the density of that brine, which means if you don't get your chloride titration correctly, the density contribution there, when you break out what your high gravity and low gravity solids are, that's all going to be thrown off mm. because it thinks part of your, more of your mud weight or less of your mud weight came from the brine than actually did. Yeah. Um, and then of course we get into my favorite water phase salinity, right? So if you're worried about hydrating or dehydrating the formation and your salinity is too high or too low and that osmosis happens where water goes into the place that has less water, once again, that's something where if you're not keeping an eye on your chlorides and you have that imbalance in a formation where it matters, it could create some issues with for you. Right. So reliably measuring this has some knock-on effects and it's worth keeping that in mind when we talk about why you want to be, you know, in the neighborhood and our field titration uses everybody's favorite reagent, silver nitrate, <laughs> which is the dark bottle because it's sensitive to light. Also, no one should be pipetting by mouth, but this is the one where if somebody's walking around with black teeth, they probably did what you were not allowed to do. Um, <laughs> and because it's sensitive to light, it'll stay that way for a while. Yeah. Have you ever gotten silver nitrate on any part of your body? I think maybe on my skin before. Yeah. Like it's, it leaves a little bit of a stain, but yeah, I don't remember crazy. sticking around. Like it's there longer than it should be. Yeah. We'll put it that way. Yeah. It can't be good for you. No. You know, just as a broad recommendation, I prefer to not have chemicals all over myself um, <laughs> or inhale them. But, right. you know, an accident happened and, yeah. you know, whether you're in a lab, things happen. Yes. You know, even if you're taking all necessary precautions. Yes. Yeah. We got our silver nitrate, and guess what? There's two different kinds. There's mm -hmm. two different strengths. Guess yes. what we call the weak one? Weak? What do we call the strong one? Strong. These are clever names <laughs> for it, you know, so point zero two eight two normal or point two eight two normal. Where does the two eight two come from? You may not know, put you on the spot, but I've always wondered that and never took the time to dive in. It's the molar strength. Oh. So okay. the normal is moles. Ah. Avogadro and that guy, all that seventh grade chemistry stuff, I can barely remember. Well, you Maybe, we'll have to go a lot more than this fella. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to go into it sometime. That might be another good episode idea. Okay. Or maybe people fall asleep at the we wheel, like, I don't know. Really? Have you ran out of ideas, guys? Come on. <laughs> yes. So you got your silver nitrate. You've got your potassium chromate indicator. And what are you doing? You've got your sample of fluid, you know, filtrate or whatever, you know, milliliter, whatever. Follow your procedures. But what's happening is you're going to add silver nitrate and what you're going to get is the silver and the chloride ions are going to interact and they're going to create silver chloride precipitate, right? Mm -hmm. And I think you've seen that, the like kind of white stuff that starts to form. Yep. Right. Your color, you start out yellow and you're going to work your way over towards like an orange red. And what a lot of the procedures say or the API recommended practice say changes color from yellow to orange red and persists for 30 seconds. And so this is an annoying thing about titrations, right? Because you're adding it in drops, you know, hopefully you've got a stir going or whatever to mix it up, but you know, there's a very concentrated portion there. So when you start dripping it in and you're looking at right where it hits 
the fluid as you're adding your silver nitrate, you say, aha, there it is. Right, but but then, then it makes it like when it blends in, it goes away again. Right. So like this is where we get calling our endpoint and you're looking for a color change. One of the important things to keep in mind is your color change or that reddish color that you see, you've already used up all of the chloride ion. You made it all silver chloride. So what that means is the minute you start seeing that sustainably and consistently, you're making silver chromate now instead of silver chloride mm. because your potassium chromate, that chromate is available. Right. And that's the, your reddish brown precipitate now that you're seeing. So all of that is you're seeing you've passed your endpoint or you're starting to pass your endpoint, which means when you go real, real dark red or brick red or, you know, go all that way down, what you're seeing is a bunch of excess silver nitrate reacted with that indicator. Does that make sense? Yeah. Interesting. So that's why you're just looking for when it starts to change over and stay there. Right. Is just start seeing a little bit of, of red. Huh. And everything after that, you've already tied up all your chlorides. And everything you're adding after that, you're just counting something as reacting with chlorides that isn't reacting with chlorides. It's reacting with chromate. Interesting. Makes okay. sense? Yeah, that's a lot deeper than I would have. Then again, that was ever taught to me or... And then maybe it was in mud school, but I don't remember. But it's interesting to know that. And, and and one thing to know for those who maybe have not done this, it's you're not doing it with the mud itself. You've broken the emulsion to where yes. you have the base fluid, the clear, the brine. Yes. And then you're doing it with that. But again, the, the point of the episode is to talk about the titration. But in yeah. case people are like, well, how do you know? Because it's the mud looks black. It's You're doing it with the brine, the clear fluid. Yes. And this is true of water-based mud as well. But oil-based mud is the one that tends to get us in more trouble. Right. Um, yeah. We were talking about oil-based mud earlier. And so that's why I had it on the mind. But yes, thanks for clarifying that. This is for both. Yes. And so big picture, the reason I wanted to go through this was because... I think maybe they told us in mud school, but if you've been to mud school, they tell you a lot of things. And half of them, you have no idea what is more important. Right. Like my mud school was eight or nine weeks. I think they've cut it down since then. But they took you through like eight gazillion mud systems. <laughs> and most of the time you end up going through, you end up like in any location, you use like three, right? Yeah. And so they were taking you through everything that's used all over the world. And odds are you're going to go to a district where they used a couple. And so you're getting overwhelmed by like how to run a glycol system or something. And then you go somewhere where all they do is run oil-based mud and be like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. So all that being said, lots of information with limited practical, all that. So I don't blame my mud and school instructors because they probably said it, but they had to say a lot of things. But for the sake of us getting the record straight, this is an opportunity and I do think, like I've been thinking about this because, you know, there's always the joke of like, man, we got a lot of colorblind mud engineers. Like, how are, <laughs> how are we pulling this off? I think there's an element of this where you can actually see, and granted, I'm not colorblind. I've just done this titration enough where you can see sort of the wave of something changing as it's being stirred. Yeah. With oil-based mud, I think it's a lot harder. But you can sort of see something happening where you might be able to say, okay, that's probably it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, going from that yellow to, you know, that's a tough one for the colorblind folks. But it's also, we don't need to go all the way. Mm -hmm. We just need to start seeing glimmers of this precipitate. Yeah. Uh, well, I think stay it's, there. it's like that degree of change. And some may argue like what the color actually is. But you can see it go from one color phase to another color phase. And yeah. so if you're with someone who's experienced, who can say, 
you know, they're dropping and then, oh, there it is. Then, you know, regardless of what color, if it looks purple or brown or green, you've seen, oh, it went from this to this. Yes. And so it's, there is a very high level of consistency, even though people might argue of the actual color. Yes. And I think it's something that is observable in general, but I think sometimes we do get caught up in the like, man, I thought it had to be red, red, because think, think about some of your other titrations, right? Like even like phenylphthalein where it's like bright pink mm. and then you drop the acid and it goes clear, like crystal clear. Yeah. And that's your end point. Like that's obvious. Yeah. And so I go into my chloride titration expecting this needs to go all the way over to this very, you know, visible other thing or I'm not doing it right. Yeah. And here it's no, the like actual significant color change only happens because you finished your titration effectively. Yeah. So I thought that was a good little like, let's go over this again, because I think some people, you know, get that mixed up. Yeah. No, it's a good um, conversation, especially for mud engineers or people who have done the test. For those who haven't, it may kind of be just maybe not as interesting really, but I think it is interesting, especially if, as a mud engineer. And one thing, a story I'll never forget, I was training and I was on a rig in the barnet and, you know, it's just, it was very much development mode. Everything was the same. It was just like, boom, 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 knocking wells out. And so, you know, whether or not people were doing, you know, a test every, you know, every day doing the exact same. Well, the point I'm making is that it, people knew exactly, like the mud engineer who I was, I was working with, he could basically tell me the entire mud report before even doing a lab check, but his plate with the stir little magnetic thing and it was broken. And so he did it with, and this was years ago, but he did it with a Gatorade bottle and he just shook the bottle, but he was so experienced that he knew even doing it that way, which is not correct, <laughs> but doing it that way was, I was like, man, aren't you supposed to use this? And you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, that's not the way the test is. Like you can't, there's no way you could be doing it with a bottle. And he's like, look, like when times are tough and I'm waiting for this part to come out, like we got to do the check and mm -hmm. here's a way that you can do it. And, you know, and, and I'd never seen it or done it like that ever since, but yeah. Had you seen anyone do a titration, like any kind of funny stories on a rig or even in the lab that's like, watch this way of doing it? So Cause really I, it just requires agitation. Yeah. I mean, you, you just want to mix together. So if you, you know, you get that motion where you swish everything together, you could probably pull it off. Yeah. I remember we had issues. I was on a rig offshore. This was like deep water. And somebody, they ran out. Like as soon as I got there, we were out of xylene. Mm. And so to break the emulsion and actually get a reading was like, you kind of have to have it. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was like, well, what nasty solvents do we already have on the rig? Yeah. So we got with like the rig mechanic and they had like, you know, the paint room or whatever, you know, the shack with all the, wasn't tools, but it was like a shop that clearly had paint and all that kind of thing. And so yeah. we were trying different mineral spirits and stuff like that to break the emulsion. Yeah. We were able to get enough to borrow, but it had a dramatic effect on one of the titrations that we had to sort of account for. Wow. And I never figured out what it was, but it would be like a very, very bright pink hmm. when you were trying to do the alkalinity. Like we were like, I don't know about this. <laughs> and so we tried to do some with like fresh water and, and like some controls to be like, okay, this is about how much it should be. Yeah. And you know, the whole time you're like, just send me the material. Like you didn't send me a full mud kit. Like, come on, you know, <laughs> and you're just trying to make sure everything's okay. And we, I don't even think we'd started drilling yet. So this was yeah. like mostly manageable, but we really wanted to know what we had. We were pretty confident in what we were getting on the titration, but I really wanted the real deal stuff. And so they're like, oh yeah, we like, we sent it out to you. Well, like, a, you know, think of one can of that stuff. 
you're like looking all over the deck. Yeah. And we eventually found it in a pipe basket, like stuffed in between a bunch of, you know, like subs and other stuff. And I was like, how on earth was I supposed to know where to find this? <laughs> like, and especially when it's a chemical, you know, there's paperwork and all that. I'm like, ah, we'll just shove it in there. Yeah. So anyways, we got by the skin of our teeth that time, but mm. it was much nicer to have the right stuff. Yeah. No kidding. Well, going back to offshore, if that stuff hadn't shown up, it's not a quick call to the warehouse and a quick hop, skip and a jump on a boat to go give it to you. It's likely a lot longer than that. So if you're working offshore, make sure you've got the right chemicals the first time. And if not, you're going to have to get creative, clearly. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think if, you know, especially if it's like a longer term campaign, you get better about like stocking up spares and yeah. having that sort of thing. And I don't understand how we ended up on the rig. I think it was the first well of a few, but like, I don't know how we ended up on this rig with that little, you know, xylene available and everything, you know, it's yeah. like showing up and not having the reagents or whatever you look at, you're like, how on earth would you, Yeah. like, how did we get started doing this? <laughs> so it's the little things. Yeah, yeah. But I think all that being said, hopefully you don't have to get creative. Hopefully you can accurately measure your chlorides, you know, and just thinking of other ways it can be helpful. Water flows, being able to determine the volume of the water flow you took by the change in your salinity, you know, just different things like that. It can be pretty helpful and, you know, let's do it right. Yep. No, that's a good point, Matt. And for those out there, if you have any thoughts, questions, or stories you'd like to share on chloride titrations or if you had a funny training experience. I know there's a ton out there. Hit us up. You can hit us up online on LinkedIn, or you can reach us at the Flowline Podcast at aesfluids.com. Please share, review, and like this episode when we release it. And all the support is very much appreciated. And if you have any questions about drilling fluids or drilling operations, or maybe something out of the box that you think we could answer, or maybe even we could bring someone in to talk about, we'd love to do that. So you can reach us, like I said, either on LinkedIn or at email. And again, the email is theflowlinepodcast at aesfluids.com. And with that being said, take care, everyone. Be safe. Stay hydrated. Until next time. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.